Welcome back to another episode of the Sex Mansters Podcast. You know, on this episode, I think I'm going to start off by kind of sharing some details of my personal life a little bit more and not the sexual aspects of my personal life that I've shared in the past from disaster stories to, you know, uh, engaging and reconnecting the intimacy but more along the lines of talking to you about, you know, that one spouse, that one spouse that is very driven, you know, the workaholic, the type D personality that is maybe a little ADHD, right? Now, in my relationship, I'm the workaholic that is ADHD, and I've really gone, you know, all in on the kind of the freedom lifestyle, except for I don't really feel very free. And let me try and explain that. You know, there's an old adage here about the entrepreneur who is desperate to escape the eight-hour-a-day job, the 40-hour work week, in order to work 18 hours a day for themselves. You know, it seems like I'm working more now that I have become more financially independent from a day job than I did when I was working the day job. And my wife has been very patient. My wife has been incredible, you know, to say the least. You know, she's been very incredible, but she has recently pointed out that, hey, I need to start cutting back on some of the things that I've been doing that, you know, I do to generate income you know, to provide for the family. And no, 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 don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not cutting out this podcast, right? But I've had to cut out a podcast, you know, one that I have been pursuing very passionately because it hasn't been taking off. And it was also dominating most of my time. And see, this gets to the heart of what this particular episode is about. It's, you know, how to help your partner recognize when what they're most passionate about is the least effective in helping them accomplish their goals in life. You know, for whatever reason that it is. You know, and, you know, as we were going through here, you know, and I'm going to go through and tell you some of the steps that she has done to help me realize for myself what I've needed to cut back on, what I need to, you know, let go of in order to not just achieve our financial goals, but to go through and achieve our family goals and relationship goals. So, you know, here it is, you know, I'm pretty busy person. You know, it's not just this podcast doing this once a week. No, 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 that's not all I do. You know, believe me on that. You know, I, I have, uh, other podcasts uh, that I do as well. One, you know, is I've been trying to do daily, which is really hard, you know, and others that are also once a week shows, you know, and I've been trying to catch up on doing some blogging to provide written content a couple times a week and I'm about uh, a month ahead, so I'm going to be starting to release that here pretty soon and start publishing the written content. So it's been kind of a very strenuous time in trying to accomplish and do everything. Now, I've been blogging on you know uh, one of my other sites pretty uh, frequently, and, you know, uh, well, I'll get to that later. But beyond the podcasting and trying to produce, you know, some YouTube videos and all that. I do things other than, you know, podcasting and blogs, right? I also go out, you know, and I engage in other side hustles, such as retail arbitrage, uh, repairing broken electronics and reselling them. And, you know, I, it dominates so much of my time. And, well... Well, let me go ahead and start off this way. You know, as my wife was, you know, bringing up that, hey, I need to start finding more time 
in my schedule for the family. You know, that I've put in, you know, so much work that we are having our best financial year. And that's one of the first things that she brought up was, you know, because she knows me, money is a motivator. Money is a driving force, wanting to provide economically for my family. So she knows that. So one of the first thing that she had brought up was, hey, look at our bank accounts. It's bigger than we have ever seen it in the past. Now, I haven't worked a nine to five day job in over a year. And despite the global pandemic, she's pointing out that we're having our best financial year we've had since we've been together. And that is a testament to a lot of the hard work that I've put in with everything that I do. And then she brought up that, you know, because of that, we, it's obvious that I can afford to, you know, let go of one or two activities that I do in order to have more time to just spend with the family. And she wanted me to take a look at and assess all the things that I do and what is not productive towards, you know, our financial goals. And then, uh, she went, um, you know, to go visit family on the other side of the state for a week in which she took the kids. And before she left, you know, and maybe this was, you know, her knowing how my mind works and everything because yeah, I'm ADHD. I'm all over the place. And, you know, I keep myself so busy that I don't give myself a whole lot of time to think. But before she left, she said, the one thing I must do, and this is basically her stating that she is giving me an order, which she doesn't normally do, but she's giving me an order here. And that order is, I must spend at least a couple of days this week while she's gone to take a break, to relax. Basically, do a, a mini vacation. That was her order. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm relaxed, I have things, you know, just pop into my mind. Eureka moments. And I think she understood, understands that, you know, and which is why she ordered me to take a break, you know, relax, watch a few movies, go for some walks, you know, just spend a couple of days not working. Now, do you know how hard that is for me? Do you know how hard it is for me to not be trying to do something to generate money? I mean, my theory is if an activity makes you at least one cent, then it is better and more productive than an activity that gives you nothing, that makes you nothing at all. And so just relaxing, you know, and watching a movie is even that's pretty hard for me because you know, I, I don't see it as adding value, add, you know, adding to our bank account. I mean, even when I play video games, I at least live stream that so that I can, you know, get some ad revenues from doing that on YouTube. And I do find that to be a little bit relaxing, but it does produce a little bit of work. So I've had to go off and analyze what's going on in my life, you know, what is an activity that is generating the least amount of money and then focus on possibly eliminating that so that I can have more time to spend with the family. So as she was gone for the week, I took the first two days to just sit back, relax and, you know, do as ordered, you know, <laughs> relax and do nothing. Just watch some TV and go for some walks, you know, to really de-stress. I, and I started having these eureka moments. Ah, women, you know your men better than your men know themselves. And I was coming to the realization of what it is I needed to cut out. And it was really hard. And I've been resisting to some degree. You know, I've been trying to find all these different ways to analyze all of my activities in order to justify keeping the activity that I need to get rid of. Why? 
because it is the thing that I am the most passionate about. The thing that, you know, I talk about the most. And it's the podcast that I do or have been doing on a near daily basis. And that has been on politics, which dominates so much time. You know, and and I have to be honest about it. It does dominate a lot of my time, you know, because it's all about what's in the now. You know, it's all about getting what's the best stories. And as a one person operation, that takes up a massive amount of time scanning the news, scanning all these websites. And, you know, listening to all these live streams of campaign speeches right now. And then grabbing those clips, you know, editing those clips and then producing the show, editing the show and then getting it all uploaded, you know, for video and for audio and then to write the blog post. It was pretty much dominating most of what I did throughout the day. and left me very little time to do all of the other activities that generate the most amount of money. Right? And so I was taking a look at that. The thing that I am most passionate about is the thing that makes me the least amount of money. Now I can go through here and say, well, it's obviously not because I can't do great podcasting because I look at the audience for this show and it's the same quality. In fact, I'd say I'd probably put more quality into the politics because I'm adding in clips and all of that. Uh, but this show has a much larger audience. You know, it's not even close. And then my other two podcasts that I've been doing also have much bigger audiences than my politics podcast. And it's all the same quality. So I know it's not because of the quality, and I've put a lot of marketing dollars behind politics, but for whatever reason, it wasn't taking off. It hasn't been taking off, and it hasn't been taking off for a very long time. I mean, that was the first podcast that I did, right? And I've tried rebooting it. I've tried remarketing, repackaging. I've tried so much, but in the end, I've had to go through and realize that even though that is what I originally wanted to do podcasting about, what my initial goals were, I have to realize when something is not working, even if it is my biggest passion. And so many people have a hard time understanding that. And they have spouses that try to help them realize it, but they don't always go about it in the right way. They say, hey, you know, this is stupid. It's not getting you anywhere. You need to quit it and find something else. If that is your attack, you know, it's not going to work, right? It's just not going to be able to get you, you know, to help your partner realize things, you know, because then they feel like they're alone. You don't support them. You're against them. You want them to fail. You become in direct opposition to where their life goal wants to be. And so you don't want to go off on the basic attack of this is stupid. You don't want to, you know, you you just don't want to attack it. Instead, what my wife did is help me realize why I needed to give that up, you know, or, you know, help me to realize for myself how I was just spinning my wheels, not going anywhere or not getting where I want to be, you know, and so, you know, this is where she brought up that we were having our best financial year yet, right, but it wasn't because of the politics podcast, it was because of everything else I was doing that takes a heck of a lot less time, right, so, for instance, you know, on politics, you know, that podcast, you know, between revenues for advertisements and maybe some merchandise sale, maybe makes about $500 a month, right? Now, that isn't a whole lot of money, and especially for all the time it was taking, right? So, I, you know, so I'm just going to give two comparisons here. So, it was taking about 18 hours 
a day, or maybe not 18, but at least a good 12 hours a day uh, trying to put together the politics show, right? In comparison, you know, and fixing up electronics, you know, for instance, I could take a PlayStation 3 that has the yellow light of death, you know, broken, right? And I could take the one um, that is backwards compatible so that it also plays PlayStation 2 games. I can get it for, I don't know, 25 to $40. And I can fix it up for maybe about $10. So, you know, it may, so it costs, you know, about a total of $50 in order for me to fix most of them that have this yellow light of death, right? $50, right? But once they're fixed and I let the kids test it, you know, they love playing video games. So I let them test it out for like a day or two, you know, but, you know, and, you know, got three kids, you know, so they're able to test out, you know, quite a bit. And my wife likes to play. So, you know, but in any instance, usually only, have them go for like a couple of hours, you know, on that when I get fixed up. But anyways, you know, I can get, you know, what I need mostly for $50, maybe, you know, if it needs a lot of work, maybe $75. You know, it takes me about an hour to do the repairs. And then I can turn around and sell it for about 300, 350, right? So in a four hour period, you know, I can generate eight, I, I can basically do an activity that will make me $800 a day there, right? Now, in general, I can get it a lot cheaper and I can sell some units depending on the model number for more. So, you know, and the time that I put into politics, you know, to make that $500 a month, if I redirected that just into repairing the electronics and the councils, you know, that would be, you know, probably about $2,000 a day that I could generate income. You know, uh, that's how much income I can generate from that. Just working four or five hours a day. You know, that's about thirty, sixty thousand $60,000 a month. So why is it, you know, and this is part of her thinking, because I also like working on that. I mean, I, I love taking things apart and putting them back together. But she kind of brings up of why am I spinning my wheels, you know, so much on politics for about 500 a month when I can focus on if I just did consumer electronics, I can make about, you know, between 30 and 60,000 a month. Which activity gets me closer to my goals, gives me more free time for the family and allows us to live the lifestyle that we want to live. That's how she kind of presented that, right? Now, there's also the retail arbitrage. You know, if you're not familiar with that, that's kind of going around uh, online or in stores, finding things on clearance sales, buying them, and then reselling them online at a higher price than what you get it at. You know, and that generates a good amount of income as well. You know, and so, you know, she kind of brought this up, and she did that before she left. And before she ordered me to spend a couple of days to relax, right? And so I've had to go through this. And even knowing that, I'm a stubborn person and I was trying to find a way to justify politics. But in the end, I've had to realize, and, you know, it's amazing how often I have to say this, you know, but I've had to realize that my wife was right, you know? I'm spinning my wheels a lot on an activity that doesn't generate, you know, enough income to justify continuing going and to justify, you know, all the time and effort that I put into it. And it's causing me to neglect the activities that are and have been responsible for us having our best financial year. You know, now, of course, some of that could be because of COVID and people, you know, had been looking for entertainment, you know, so, you know, game councils and other electronics, you know, were maybe artificially increased in demand, you know, as people look to be entertained, having been home more. Okay, that could be. But then I also take a look at, hey, this podcast, this podcast makes 
uh, more money than the politics podcast? You know, what if I just produced more episodes? You know, I, I would be, you know, doing two episodes a week and be better off, you know, and be much better off than a daily episode of politics. Or I could take a look at the side hustle and entrepreneurship podcast. And I mean, there's so much activities uh, that I do that each one I look at would be better for me to focus on. And I had to come to that realization. And she had to find a way to help me come to that realization. She didn't attack what I was doing. She just made a few points about, you know, about what she was observing between what was and wasn't working and then focused on how to lead me to admitting that or coming to that realization myself. She didn't put herself into the place of being the enemy of my dreams or the enemy of my goals. She didn't put herself into being an obstacle. She put herself in a position of actually helping me to analyze how to get to our financial goals, and not just our financial goals, but our family goals. All of this is to say that, you know, some of you being in relationships where, you know, maybe it's the wife in the relationship, you know, and not the husband that is having this issue where they have a dream. You know, they have something that they are very passionate about. They put all their time, focus, and effort into that, and it's not working. And you're trying to figure out how to help them realize it's not working. You know, it's, you know, they're not getting anywhere with it, you know, really, you know, at least not enough to justify all the hard work that they're putting into it. And it's causing strain on the relationship and it's causing other goals to be neglected. You know, this is all to kind of bring about how to have that conversation where you present yourself as a partner, not the opposition. You know, and, you know, for you wives out there, it is a lot easier for you. You know your men more than they know themselves. So you know how to get them to start thinking and how to get them to admit stuff to themselves that they otherwise would not be willing to admit, right? And so you got to put yourself as, you know, that partner, that business partner, you know, and put it to them maybe in terms of business. You know, you have limited resources. You can do A, which generates $1,000, or you can do B, which generates $100. Which activity is more worthwhile? Okay. No? And... You know, even then, you know, I was still, you know, had a hard time letting go. You know, and so I've pretty much had to make that decision. I'm letting go. You know, I may just still do it once a week just because, you know, I need an outlet for that, you know, because she doesn't like talking about politics. But as far as it goes for the rest of it, you know, I've, you know, I've, you know, really put more emphasis on here's my goals. Here's what's going to reach it. Now, what's interesting is as I've made that decision, I, I, I felt a lot of stress just immediately go out the door. I felt more relaxed, you know, and I looked at it and I suddenly had a lot more time on my hands. <laughs> You know, which maybe then I could just replace politics with something else and that would drive my wife crazy as well. But, you know, whatever, you know, I, I, I immediately feel, you know, a lot of, you know, the stress and a lot of the, you know, when you're in politics, a lot of anger builds up because you're very frustrated by the other side. But, you know, a lot of that, you know, you know, just lifted. And because of that, you know, me and my wife may flirt a little bit more and, you know, get a, even more intimate. Um, you know, I mean, not that we weren't really all that intimate to begin with. I mean, we were, you know, of course, but, you know, even that's, you know, gone up and increased, you know, and even though I've only recently decided 
to give up politics. You know, I, I still have that impulse, you know, to want to, what's going on? Oh, I should talk about this, that. And no, 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 I've had to realize I need to give that up and need to focus on the other activities. Now, so I hope maybe going through and providing, you know, more of this personal story and personal account of what's been going on in our life and how she helped me, you know, focus about what is and isn't working and how she went about it might help you in your relationship for that one spouse that has a passion, works hard at it, it's not working, and they're too stubborn to realize that just because it's what they're passionate about doesn't mean it's what they have the most talent and ability for. And then try to find something else that can combine their passion that is better aligned with their skills and how to do that in the way that doesn't make you the opposition. Now, enough about talking about myself and things that are going on in my own household, but let's go ahead and start talking about you and your relationship. Now, I'm always off trying to take a look at, you know, resources online, you know, things that I can learn from other people. And by that, I mean best practices. Now, if you're not familiar with what best practices is, it's finding, you know, somebody or some company, you know, depending on how you're looking at it, whether you're looking at it from a business standpoint or from a personal standpoint, but find someone who is succeeding at something that you want to do and then imitate what they are doing to some degree, you know, best practices. And so I'm always going off and I'm taking a look at ideas for best practices on successful relationships, successful marriages, but also successful businesses, you know. And I came across this article here, you know, five billionaire power couples reveal their secrets to relationship success. You know, now if you want to take a look at this, now the five billionaire or five billionaire couples. Okay. So because they're billionaires, we're supposed to accept that they're the best practices. They're the, you know, couples that we are supposed to imitate. But is that really the way it's supposed to be? I mean, is, are these five billionaire couples you know, as far as looking at them for best practices, are they living the type of life that we want to live? Now, of course, you go, well, they're billionaires. Of course, I would love to be a billionaire. You know, I mean, of course, that part is a given. But do they really have anything insightful as far as marriage and relationships? Maybe, maybe not. But they do tend to produce a lot of headlines because, well, they're billionaires. So, Everyone wants to know every aspect of their life. So they asked them about the relationship, you know, what they consider to be relationship secrets. And so they shared what they believed is the secret to the success of their relationships. Okay, so let's go ahead and analyze this because, you know, they act like these are very insightful. And it just goes to show that you know, when it comes down to it, there is no real secret. You know, the, it's just like financially, right? Everyone's wanting to know what's the secret of the rich. Well, it turns out that the secret of the rich is, well, not very secret. It's just the common sense things that we were all told to do. It's only they just have the discipline to actually do it. Now, why they always say these are secrets, I will never know. They're pretty much out there in the open. So let's go ahead and analyze this for a little bit. You know, so what is it? Oprah Winfrey and Stedman Graham says the secret is you do you. All right. And they talk about how they've been together for 33 years, but haven't gotten married, haven't gone through the marriage vows and all of that. But they're basically saying, well, you just need to be yourself in the relationship. And I'm like, really? That's what you got. Oprah Winfrey, billionaire. You know, Oprah Winfrey, you know, just as famous as uh, President Trump. 
you know, just as famous as Trump was before running for public office. Right? Every household in the United States knows this name. Right? And that's what I mean. I'm not getting on the politics side, but I'm just saying everybody in the country knows the name of the of this person. Very incredibly famous. Right? And the secret is be yourself. Really, that's that, that's all you got for us. Be yourself. You do you is the exact phraseology. And it goes on with this quote. The thing about our relationship is I want the best for her. I, I've dedicated, I'm dedicated to her happiness. I want her to be the best she can possibly be. And so for me, I've been able to find my own happiness and to find my own skills, my own talents, and my own abilities. All right, that that's his, you know, statement. Now, on this, it goes uh, for her. This is the thing that's so wonderful about Stedman. He always wants what's best for me, and he never felt like he was in my shadow, but always pushing me to the light. I mean, that's what you want in a partner. Okay, okay. Now, it's kind of interesting that the advice that she gives is how they're both focused on her. Is that really how we want to go here? But I do get the sentiment here. You know, be you. You know, you have to be true to yourself. You know, and this is what I'm gathering from this particular bit, because if you go into a relationship pretending to be someone that you're not, it's very hard to keep that relationship going. It's very hard for you to be able to be satisfied in that relationship because you're trying to pretend to be someone you're not if you're not being you. Now, that doesn't mean being selfish in that it all has to be about you. Of course not. But it does mean that, you know, for someone to be able to know you and to love you unconditionally, they have to be able to know you for who you really are, not who are you pretending to be. So, I mean, it's not really much advice, but it is kind of one of those things that is common sense and one of those things that people do tend to forget as they, you know, put all of their focus on their partner and just making their partner happy and always trying to change themselves to meet what they think their partner is looking for or desires. I it, So that won't be healthy, but being yourself and being true to who you are and letting the person that you're with, your partner, know who you really are. Yeah. That would be a pretty good secret. Uh, that's not actually a secret to a successful marriage and relationship. Or how about this? Bill and Melinda Gate. They say the big secret is work as a team. No. That work as a team? You mean when you and your spouse are agreeing to spend your life together, that in order to build a life that you're both happy with, you have to work together? No. I never would have thought of that. That the, I mean, What amazing insight this is. You're, you're starting to realize how the big secrets are not really secrets. They're just common sense. Work as a team. You know, I, wow, what a foreign concept. But then again, in today's world, common sense and basic knowledge seems to have been lost as people have gotten crazier and thinking that, you know, in order for one of you to fulfill their dreams, the other one has to sacrifice theirs. You know, that kind of seems like where we have gone as far as a culture, this whole idea that if you get some something, that means, means you took it from somebody else. And therefore, couples no longer work as a team, no longer discuss anything. But, you know, really work as a team. That's the, that's the best you got. Bill Gates, a very popular or very well-known person whose, you know, computer uh, software and technology changed the world. And this is the best advice he got. Something very common sense. Just work together. You know? <laughs> Richard Branson and Joe Templeman. Love is a safe harbor. 
Okay. Basically, you got to love each other. You actually have to be in love with each other to have a successful relationship. Mind blown. While these people are just full of secrets, aren't they? Are any of you surprised by this so far? Are any of you listening to this just like, wow, I never would have thought of that? Are these really considered to be secrets? I mean, maybe the person who wrote this article should open up a dictionary and look up the definition of the word secret. You know, how about that for a moment? All right, let's see here. Jay-Z and Beyonce Knowles? Really? That's that's her last name? Now, now these two people, I mean, I've heard of them. I know what industry they're in. I probably haven't ever heard a single song from Jay-Z or Beyonce. I don't really care. You know, uh, you know, and maybe it's just because I'm not really into music anymore. You know, I don't really listen to it much anymore and that. So therefore I don't know, you know, a whole lot about the celebrity class. You know, as far as I'm concerned, there hasn't really been much and decent music artists for the last 15 years. You know, which maybe that's just saying that I'm getting old. At 37, I'm getting old. And, you know, you could say I'm out of touch with pop culture today. I'm out of touch with, you know, what's in and hip and all of that garbage, which based off of what I've seen, I'm glad to be out of touch. I, I, as far as it goes, you know, I, I was and am a child or product of the nineties, you know, and when I say that, I mean, it's because that's when I was in my teenage years, the most informative years, you know, um, going through, uh, you know, now yeah, I graduated high school from what, what, 2002, you know, so my high school years was 98 to 2002. I, and so for music wise, you know, when I really started getting in to music and listening to music, it would be from about, I don't know, 95 to 2005, you know, that, that decade, you know, which is really good music. And as far as that goes, I'd listen to music from the eighties, you know, now there was a lot of songs, a lot of music being produced today. And I, sorry, I'm going off on this tangent in which I'm trying to figure out why does anybody like this garbage? There's nothing to it. It's just a bunch of meaningless crap. You know, there, and I don't know. I, I just don't like it. Maybe it's because they put politics into so much of the music now. And I've heard, you know, um, you know, in the news, you know, all these celebrities get engaging in politics and, you know, being able to actually see who they really are. And I don't really like them. Maybe that's part of the issue, but you know, I go through and I take a look at this Jay Z and Beyonce. Okay. There's, this says billionaire couples. So, okay. Financially, they're doing pretty well. So what do they have to say? Challenges grow you. Challenges grow you. Yeah. That's not a secret either. The whole point of, of taking on challenges and doing anything that challenges you is for you to learn and grow. If you never challenge yourself, you never learn and grow. I mean, this isn't all the, I mean, this is about as insightful as, you know, be yourself and work as a team, you know, but be willing to take on challenges together and let it grow. Or, you know, when challenges arise, don't let it come between you, but work together to overcome those challenges. It, it really, I, I'm getting a lot of insight from this, aren't you? Okay, Warren Buffett and Astrid Mengs. Ooh, okay, Warren Buffett, the businessman that everyone likes to talk about. You know, just as much as Donald Trump, you know, before he ran for president. You know, everybody wants to be, everyone who wanted to be like Trump also wanted to be like Buffett, although Buffett's name doesn't really go along very well in songs, but okay. You know, what wisdom, what 
insight do they have into the secret of a relationship? Choose wisely. Choose wisely. That's what they got for us. That's what they have. Choose wisely. Oh, no. You know, you mean the whole point of dating uh, before getting married is to get to know each other, determine your compatibility, and then if you're compatible, then get married? That's your secret? Choose someone that you actually have something in common with and that you have similar goals and aspirations to, similar beliefs with? Wow. Insight after insight. And I'm getting this article off of, uh, well, I'm I'm not going to go ahead and tell you the actual name uh, of them because I I don't want to get into, you know, any idea like I'm being conflict or hostile or going through and, you know, downplaying, you know, other people who are also giving uh, sex and marriage advice. But it's just... This is the type of advice that people are giving, right? Which, okay, yes, it's good. It's not bad advice. It's not, you know, anything other than common sense is what it is. It's common sense, but they try to build themselves up as a relationship guru and they create these headlines, you know, secrets to relationship success. And then they name like the five most common sense things that anybody would ever think of. And then, then I can see people going off and praising, oh, what insight, what intelligence. Wow. You know, this is amazing content. And it's just like, as I gone through and read you that list, those five secrets, were any of you surprised or shocked by it at all? Were any of you going off and going, great. This is awesome. I, this really helps me. Or were you all going, yeah, th- this is what everybody says. How is this considered a secret? Now, however, there are times when I do come across something that does, you know, provoke thought. You know, that is beyond the, you know, common sense. And even though it does have some common sense to it, it is something that we don't necessarily think about. Things that, you know, Unless you were in a situation, it probably would never even cross your mind anyways. And that is, you know, uh, recovery, you know, recovering uh, from a situation in your relationship, whether that be a situation where somebody cheated, uh, a situation where someone uh, is addicted to something and trying to get over that addiction, you know, and... We can see here, you know, that there's all these 12 step program, right? And people think that just going to the 12 step program will somehow magically change everything, right? You know, and part of that 12 step is admit that we were powerless over, you know, whatever the situation is. Come to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. You know, I'm just kind of quickly going through what the 12 step is. You know, make a decision to turn uh, our will and our lives over to the core of God as we understand him or whatever power that you believe in or, you know, trying to find a way to re-empower yourself. You know, really go through and take a self-assessment and a moral assessment of ourselves, admitting to whatever power uh, to ourselves or to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. You know, going through here, you know, we're, you know, entirely ready to, you know, there's a lot of religion in this. You know, you can substitute religion for whatever it is uh, that you believe, but it's going through this 12 step program here. Now, what's interesting is when you take a look at this 12 step program, it's all about the individual. But it has nothing to do with healing the relationship. You know, and I get that, you know, when it comes to, you know, recovery, that the first thing that you need to do is, of course, work on yourself. That's the first thing. You, you can't fix the relationship if you yourself is, are, are broken. 
But once you get through this 12-step program on trying to heal yourself, fix yourself, and improve your life, then it comes to how do you start healing the relationship? Well, the first thing, of course, is you're going to have to, you know, apologize to your partner for anything that you did wrong to them while you were going through whatever addiction or suffering, admitting your mistakes. Now, for some people, that can be pretty hard. And then you have to focus on, you know, showing them, you know, your partner, the love and attention, and then focus on the relationship itself. A lot of people just think that going through and just doing the 12-step program, that magically solves everything. That once you get to step 12, you're healed, and that's it. No, no, no. That's only half. That's only half of the progress you need to make. Now, how you work on the relationship is going to be a lot of uh, dependent on you and your partner. What, you know, how is your relationship? What are your personalities? What was the wrong that was committed? Now, like I said, you start off with apologizing, admitting your mistakes, and then trying to figure out, you know, coming together, you know, and talking out how is it that you can get past it? You know, was it, you know, infidelity? <laughs> That's a hard one. You know, that's a hard one. That's going to have a lot of trust issues, and that's going to have a lot of trust issues for years to come. You can go years without any relapse, and yet anytime, uh, you know, you work late or you get into a busy season into your career, your partner may be a little fearful, you know, to say the least, as far as what is it that you may really be doing. Now, I guess you can always give your partner the ability to track your phone. That may be something, but, you know, there are still ways around that. You know, get a secret second phone that is a prepaid phone and then, you know, leave your main phone at the office knowing, you know, whether or not you can get back in there based off of what time of night it is, you know, with a security badge, you know, okay, there's a lot of things that you can do with that. So. You know, there's always going to be that fear. And so you need to be able to make sure that you, you know, make your partner the priority in your life and that they know they are the priority in your life. Now, that's easy to say. It's harder to accomplish, depending on how well you were able to deceive them with the infidelity. Or, you know, maybe it's something like pornography. Okay, well, I mean, I guess if you make it so that all porn sites are blocked. I mean, you can try and go through and take the steps, but you know, when it comes to working on on the relationship, you got to create an individualized program for being able to do so. But another problem that we have is when we take a look at the 12 step program, it's all basically trying to say that, well, it wasn't my fault. I was powerless over this. And I need someone else, like God, to fix me. Okay. That almost seems like you're not actually in that 12-step program taking responsibility. And if you're not taking responsibility, you're not going to work on and fix the problem. And if you can't work on and fix the problem, you can't work on and fix your relationship. That's all there is to it. Basically, you just have to admit what you did that you are responsible, and then you need to start focusing on how you can avoid relapsing and then how to work on the relationship itself. Maybe you have more date nights. Maybe you go through and start planning more things in which it's just you and your partner together. You know, don't give yourself time to relapse, at least not for a while. I mean, give yourself, you know, what is it? Uh, if something was a habit, if it's an addiction of some sort, you know, it takes about 90 days to really get over an addiction and, you know, for, to change your habits. Right? So you're going to have to, you know, keep yourself so busy, so occupied with the relationship that you don't have time to focus or time to think about the problem that 
you know, or re-engaging in that addiction that caused the problem in your relationship to begin with. There just isn't any shortcuts to repairing a relationship. There is no one thing that you can buy that will fix everything. No one move, one action that will make any past indiscretion just magically disappear. It's going to take hard work. And for the person putting in the work, you know, you may have to face it that nothing you do will be enough. It might never be enough. You might never be able to fully repair the relationship to what it was before your indiscretion, before the problem. There might always be that sense of hurt, you know, by your partner. You know, they may always have in the back of their mind, you know, doubts, questions, worries. That's natural. You know, that is the problem. When you break something, when you put it back together, it will never be the same. Now, there are some times when you can put something back together and make it better than before. That's always an option. Or it will always have those cracks and imperfections there. But when it comes to repairing the relationship, it takes two to repair. It only takes one to break it. It takes two to repair it. And so just as the person who made a mistake needs to work hard and needs to make the commitment to repairing the relationship, the person who was harmed by that action also needs to make a decision as to whether or not they want to save the relationship or move on. You know, um, I was watching the Karate Kid, you know, Mr. Miyagi always, always had great advice, you know, and so he, and so he, there was one advice here that works very well when it comes to talking about repairing the relationship. And it goes, it's kind of, you know, Miyagi's version of do or do not. There is no try, right? But Mr. Miyagi puts it like this, you know, it's just, you know, crotty do or crotty don't. Crotty maybe, grape, you know, squish like a grape. It's like walking down the road, you walk down the left side, safe. Walk down the right side, safe. Walk in the middle. Squished like a bug. All right, so the same thing comes when it comes time to decide whether or not you feel your relationship is worth saving. It's either it is or it's not. If you do this, maybe, you know, you're indecisive. Boom. You're going to get squashed. Something's going to happen. There's going to be relapses. You're not going to be fully happy or fulfilled or committed to the relationship. And you're just going to kind of feel like you're just going along with the motions, right? So you just need to make that decision. All right, so that's it uh, for this particular episode. I got uh, probably a funnier and more interesting episode uh, coming up uh, on next week's show. So don't uh, miss that. All right, leave me a rating and review so other people can find the podcast and know whether or not it's for them. Thank you so much for listening. and. I will be back again soon.